0: Welcome to
1: the
2: Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas
0: Theological Seminary.
2: Welcome to the table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary, and today our topic is the college campus and the specific campus that we're looking at. Is Texas A&M. Whoop whoop. whoop. So uh, it's uh, it's great to have Ben Stewart with us. He uh, leads a ministry on the campus called Breakaway that he's about to describe to you. And uh, this is one of our uh, of a series of podcasts that we're doing on the college campus in America, where we're taking a look at the social and intellectual pressures and tensions that students are under today as they head off to college and. Uh, we do this as a service to churches to help them think through how they're preparing their their kids in high school for the college campus. So Ben, welcome to the table. Uh, we're really pleased to have you.
3: Thanks. I'm glad to be here.
2: And it just shows that uh, that payback is fair play because when I came to College Station a couple of years ago, uh, you uh, audioed me, so I'm getting you back plus with video as well. Yeah. So come oh, All right. Let's go for it. All bro. right. Well, let's let's talk about Breakaway. Tell us a little bit about the history and the nature of the ministry that you have there on the Texas A&M campus, and uh, and then we'll go from there.
3: Right. Okay. Yeah, Breakaway is a homegrown ministry. I mean, it, uh, it started on the campus of Texas A&M in 1989 by a group of sophomores. So literally a handful of guys just met in their apartment to pray, read the Bible, and it just took off in a grassroots kind of way from there. And we moved it onto campus several years ago and really see ourselves as uh, missionaries to the campus. So Tuesday nights, 9 o'clock. We use venues on the campus to reach students, have a worship service, and then we spend a lot of our energy plugging them into local churches. So uh, that's, that's kind of who we are. Like uh, we're, uh, Lord willing, the hub in the middle of the campus, getting them connected to the Lord and His people.
2: And this is not a small ministry by any means, because on an average week, what, what are you, how many Texas A&M students are you getting to your meetings during the week?
3: Yeah. So this fall, our average has been over 5,000. So our largest... we did outdoors and had a little over 11, which was pretty crazy, man. So, so are they
2: expanding Kyle Field to accommodate you eventually? Is that They're the goal?
3: For <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. 150 million dollar expansion. We're real grateful they, uh, they did that for us.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's amazing because I, you know, as uh, I was there, uh, well, a year and a half ago, and it was 3500 then. So, you guys are still uh, blowing and going.
3: Oh man, it's been awesome, and you know, this is we had. Uh, the university had 10,000 incoming freshmen this year. That's brand new freshmen. So mm-hmm. the school is blowing up, and it's just a fun time to be in ministry.
2: You mean growing, you don't mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, That's slang. Exactly.
3: But uh, anyway, yeah. So it's a fun time to be on the campus, man.
2: Okay. Sure. So in your average meetings, what's taking place?
3: They're real simple. I mean, we are. Uh, You know, we'll use the basketball arena, and we'll get in at 6.30 and need to have it set by 8.30. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of flashing lights and whatever. It's pretty raw, but it's worship and then teaching of the Bible, a chance for students to pray with people, connect with folks. We have teams that are helping them learn about the churches in town and get connected. And so I think the benefit for some students is they can come and be anonymous. Mm Mm-hmm. They feel the freedom to bring their friends because they're on campus, you know, nine o'clock at night, they go, hey, let's just slide over to this thing and mm-hmm. check it out. So it's very much in their world, about their world, but it's a pretty simple worship service, I guess. Uh, and then uh, we call it a Bible study, but I know that can be a little misleading language, but um, but that's basically what it looks like, some worship, some teaching.
2: Now, is there any small group stuff going on out of it, or any discipleship stuff, or is it strictly these once-a-week meetings?
3: Yeah, we disciple um, our volunteers. We have a volunteer corps of students that pull all this off. So I have a staff of four, including myself. You know, so uh, this thing is really run by students, so we spend a lot of time with those students. But ABC student that comes, we made a decision a while ago, if if we start a, a robust small group network, we've basically become a church. And so what we discovered as we studied A&M was it, we're a big ministry, it's a big campus, but it's a small town. Mm-hmm. And so there's a handful of churches that have amazing ministers that love college students, and we all work together. That's great. And so we told them, we win when your churches grow. These churches will come to Breakaway. They'll set up booths, hand out uh, flyers. And we just, our language is by their sophomore year, students are going to find their community either at a church or at a bar. And if we can push them towards the church, we feel like we won. And uh, so we really, I think... Part of the reason why God blesses what's happening here is we all work together. The mm-hmm. churches ministries, we work together. So
2: That's great. Now how large how large of a student volunteer you said you're student volunteers. How how large a group is that who help you pull off these events?
3: Yeah, it's about two hundred. Oh wow. A little less than that.
2: Okay. Yeah. So four of you are working with two hundred students basically. Is that? Is, am I getting am I getting that about right?
3: Yeah. I mean, we work with about twenty team leaders. Uh-huh. And, um, I mean it's It's fun, man, because they really do run it. You know, Uh they they know where some things are. I don't know where they are. They make stuff happen, Uh and we get to train them up. It's it's fun to work shoulder to shoulder with twenty year olds. You know, and
2: and they and and as I take it, most college ministries are. You know, you try and bring them in when they're freshmen, and they'll hopefully your top leadership has stayed with you and been around for a while by the time they're they're either graduating or moved on to graduate school and hung around. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's the toughest part. Is right where you get them, where you want them, you send them on to somebody else. So
2: yeah, yeah, uh, hopefully we're
3: staffing a lot of great churches.
2: (laughs) That's great. Well, well, it sounds like it's a a, a terrific ministry. Now, as 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 you know, since I told you, we we're interviewing uh, ministry leaders literally around the country. So we've done one in the Northeast with Princeton. We've done uh, a few involving. We did one interview where we combined three schools. Uh, This was a uh, a Korean professor at Talbot who actually had worked on the campus of three schools over a 30-year period, mm. which was kind of a neat interview because he was able to talk about how the campus has changed in the time yeah. that he's been on the campus over three decades. Uh, uh-huh. and, and also he was able to very much specify how the campuses were different from one another. Your situation is a little different. How long have you been at, at A&M working on campus?
3: This is my eighth year
2: eighth year and and were you a student at a and m as well yes were you part of breakaway when you were a student? Have you been connected with the ministry that long or or did you come into it afterwards?
3: yeah, I attended when I was a student i i um it was off campus at the time and running a little under a thousand people uh-huh uh and I went and had a wonderful experience but um I left and never thought I would move back per se but um I'm so glad I did. We love it here, man. We love what we get to do.
2: Well, do you, now, you know, eight years is still a pretty interesting slice of time. Uh, is there any sense in which A&M is – is the A&M of today the A&M of eight years ago, or is the campus changing? Have things changed very much? What's what, what's your take on that question?
3: Yeah, I would say so. You know, people ask me that all the time. Is it is it like a trip down memory lane? And I say, no, not at all. I hmm. mean uh, – it's a very different place uh, physically because so many new buildings have come up. The school is expanding. It's so much larger than when I was there.
2: How many students does Texas A&M have?
3: It's over 50,000 now.
2: Oh, wow. So it's one of the largest schools in the country.
3: That's right. I think it's in the top five now. And they're, they've just thrown the doors open. They're, mm-hmm. they're going for it, man, in terms of... Population.
2: What is that doing demographically to your campus? I mean, is it uh, has that impacted the demographics? The fact that they've thrown the doors open in terms uh, and what I have now in mind primarily is the ethnic mix of the of the campus.
3: You know, one of the great things at AM is there's a lot of international students, mm-hmm. and particularly because A and M produces a lot of engineers. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of students from all over the world that come to get engineering degrees, work with oil, that kind of thing. And so we have a huge international student population. Once you get within the U.S., um, I think there's a decent-sized Hispanic population. There's not a very large African-American population. Interesting. Um, and uh, that's something I think the school has constantly been working to to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, it is interesting. You'll see people from all over the world everywhere. There's a lot more international students, which is nice.
2: Now, um, so you said the, the, the physical, just the layout and size of the school has changed a lot in eight years. Anything else uh, about the school changed over that period? I mean, is the feel of the campus, even though it's bigger and there are more people, pretty much the same? Or is that changed? The, are the issues staying the same, or are they changing?
3: No, I would say it's a very different day. You know, I mean, these students, um, they were born in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. The freshmen were born in 95. And so this generation is being raised, you know, YouTube was around when they were kids, cell mm-hmm. phones. The the way they're interacting with the culture around them is so different than people that were in school in the 90s. So I think it's very much changed their experience of how they connect with each other, the speed of flow of information to them.
2: Okay, now that's an interesting observation. We haven't heard that one before, so that, that is a, that's, that's a very important observation. You know, when we talk about this in relationship to the seminary and the education models that we're dealing with, you know, in-class versus online, that kind of thing, I actually like to make the point that, that kids who grow up who are born now – and I had my kids in mind who were born in the mid-80s up to – well, to to 80 to 84. Um, so they're, they're actually probably about your age. Anyway, um, uh, they grew up with technology around them, even to a lesser degree than the students you're talking about. But mm-hmm. they interact with each other and through that means naturally, whereas we, my generation, had to acquire that ability. And we – and we differentiate how we relate technologically versus non technologically in a way, generally speaking, that younger people don't, or at yeah. least not as much. And so I do think that's a that's a difference. And I like to say we have to be careful not to measure the way in which we grew into technology relating and confuse that with someone who's been used to it from the day they were born. Yeah. It does make it, a difference.
3: It totally does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their interactions with their parents are very different. Their interactions with each other, um, the you know, even watching uh, you know just the speed of gossip zoom around campus. You know what I mean? (laughs) Or or even the primary shapers of culture are Uh not necessarily local anymore Mm -hmm. with college campuses. You know what I mean? Um, So, so what are
2: the influence? So, what? That's an important question. What kinds of influences are you talking about there?
3: Well, I just think with. With students, um, their phones are everywhere now. You know, so if there's ever a dull moment, uh, right? You know, something's happening right here. Yeah, and uh, so you've got constant flow of information that may have nothing to do with the building you're in, the people around you. Yeah, it's coming from whatever sources you're being marketed. Uh, to buy. You know, in- in- so.
2: Interesting, because uh, uh, the image that flash your mind when you picked up the phone and started to look at it is... Um I work out regularly, and I'm the place where I work out happens to be real close to SMU, uh-huh. and it's amazing to watch younger people work out because they work out and their iPhones are still working. <laughs> yeah, oh, you know yeah. they yeah. they aren't they aren't watching the television a lot of the times. They're sitting there interacting with their email while they're work while they're on the treadmill. You know, yeah. I'm going. That's a different definition of multitasking than what I'm used to. Right. So
3: <laughs> well, and so. You know, we live in a culture with these students, even different from mine, and I'm not that old, but they're growing up in a culture that in no way encourages meditation or reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just constant new data. Uh-huh. And so that's where you'll meet students that their worldviews are just extremely fragmented mm-hmm. because there's not really been anyone even encouraging them to try to integrate. How do these different things you believe relate to each other? Does it make any sense cohesively? And and they really don't. So um, we're not in a culture that promotes meditation or contemplation. It's
2: it's just, a, uh, it's a, the metaphor I like to use is is the picture of a of a of a, a news channel where you've got split screen text going down the bottom, you know, and it's all happening at once and uh, I often tell this story of being in a furniture store when my daughter was buying furniture for her first house and I was sitting by a TV that was on MTV and and I was counting how long an image was on the screen Mm -hmm. and I never got to the number four. (laughs) This is over a five minute period and so I call my wife over. And I do the same exercise. I said, just listen to this. Just listen how long an image is up on the screen. And I I another two or three minutes. I never get to the number four. And I turn to her and I say, that's how our kids are processing their information. Yeah. You know, it's it's coming in bursts and it's and it's short and it's sweet and it moves on and you're always doing it. And I said, and I'm not even. That's just the image. I'm not even dealing with everything else that's on the screen here that's happening. Yeah. So um, I think it's a very, uh, very good point, and you're and you're kind of, we're kind of uh, I say uh, uh, moseying over to to the core questions that I want to ask you, which okay. is, um, what are what in your judgment as you minister to this horde of kids? I mean, five thousand. Good grief. Um, um, uh, what are the key social and intellectual challenges that students are facing? Let's start with the social ones first, and then we'll, and then we'll move to the more intellectual challenges. As they think about their, their walk, the development of virtue, the development of character uh, that their faith is calling for, um, what, what challenges are they facing at a social level?
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough Podcast. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting Hmm. graceenoughpodcast.com.
3: I would say there's kind of two different pressures I see that are um, the most frequently Showing up in the lives of students. One is um, there's a lot of stress and anxiety mm-hmm. about hurrying up to arrive somewhere. You know, um, and there's been new studies on it. Gene uh, Twenge wrote that book, Generation Me. You mm-hmm. know, which was talking about how they're more this young generation's more entitled and miserable than ever. Yeah, and uh, and you see that this this message of do whatever you want, be whatever you want, you can go is meant to be encouraging. Mm-hmm. But what it does is it creates stress in students of I've got to hurry up and accomplish whatever they're uh-huh. telling I can and I should, and so there's this stress. And so I was surprised when I came back you know, I graduated in '98, came back in the mid 2000s, and the number of hours students take per semester has radically gone up, mm-hmm. and they don't even know why they're. Rushing so fast to get out, or rushing so fast to get the next internship, or whatever. There's just this I've got to grab it, I've got to get it. And there's not much contemplation on it, but there's a lot of stress to perform. Mm-hmm. And I would say what I think it is with students is they're being pressured to be the creator of their stories rather than the discoverer of them. You yeah. know, I think they're being told you've got to find what makes you happy and go do it, and that puts enormous pressure on them. Uh, rather than saying, hey, God built you um, to do something for the common good, mm-hmm. discover that. Go on an adventure to discover how you've been made. They're trying to be the, the author of their story rather than the character in their story. and So you see a lot of stress mm-hmm. in students. And so the common thing you ask is, how are you doing? Busy.
2: Mm-hmm. That's the answer. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I, you know, the, the second thing I would say is, you know, James says, you know, true religion is to visit the orphan and widow in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this generation of students is they're killing it on the first one. Uh-huh. They, they, they are so concerned with social justice issues. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. My, mm-hmm. my generation wasn't mm-hmm. like, but the unstained from the world, I mean, they, uh, you know, the college campus is heralded in the culture as the place of experimentation, and everything's good, and try it all, and and the boundaries have disappeared.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, for this generation, they don't look for pornography; it's finding them. Mm-hmm. These kids, why what's what's the latest statistic? Ninety percent of them, before they were ten, had seen hardcore pornography online. Mm. You know, I mean, they're not looking for it. Yeah. So this generation has soaked in some really um, intense um, uh, sexual pressures, uh, exposure for most of their lives.
2: Now, how does that impact them at the relational level? I mean, because uh, we uh, this this answer to this question in this area is being is pretty consistent, almost no matter what campus we talk about. Um, and uh, uh, you know, I mean, it, it may be slightly more intense uh, and less subtle in, in the Ivy League, uh, yeah. where you know where they have the annual Sex Week and that kind of thing. But right. yeah. uh, uh, but but it's still there. And every I, I think every person we've asked this question has put this topic on the table. Yeah. Um, so how do you, how do you how do you how do your students deal with that?
3: yeah well, um, you mean in a good way or a bad way? <laughs> well
2: that's uh, well, uh, a wide open question. I mean, whatever, take it wherever you want in terms yeah. of uh, you know what obviously you're talking to them a lot about these areas and and you're you're challenging them in these areas. So uh, process that for me.
3: Yeah, you know, I think um, because there's such a bombardment of information and so little time and encouragement for reflection, um, students are just getting stuff thrown at them, images online with pornography and different things and um, different pressures socially. And so one of the strengths I think the minister has, like I do, is they're not really being presented with logical argumentation. You mm-hmm. know, It would be really life-enhancing to have this kind of sexual experience. Nobody's saying that. It's just more, do it, do it, do it, do it. You know? yeah. So as a minister, you've got logic on your side. You know, mm-hmm. Nobody is really helping them think through.
2: What are the consequences? Really believe,
3: yeah, do whatever you want. Where yeah. does that road go? Yeah. How has that worked out in others' lives? Uh, and what you'll find is that's just maybe not even been contemplated. It's not that they're dumb. They just not put those pieces together of, oh, man, yeah, that may not be the most healthy lifestyle you know um because i don't think the culture encourages that kind of contemplation you know
2: mhm so so you're 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 supplying something that's that's missing or attempting I, to
3: yeah i think what we're constantly trying to do is integrate that There, um how do your beliefs connect to each other do they logically fit you know
1: mm-hmm.
3: so i'll uh, use like i'll talk to students about if a, a, they're a Christian student, talk about their faith in Christ and they'll have things to say about their church and what they're reading. But then I'll ask about what they're studying and what they want to do with their lives. And this will not really have informed that at all. Yeah. You know,
2: we're actually dealing with that at a completely different level uh, with something else that we're doing, which is uh, we uh, received a grant from the Kern Family Foundation to talk about faith and work. And yeah. the point is, is that most pastors in churches don't talk to people about how they should view the nine to five part of their life. Right. They might talk yeah. about the character, but they don't talk about how should you view your work. Do you have a theology of work, if you want to say it right. that way? Exactly. You know, when I was in yeah. seminary, I didn't have a course on workology. And so, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and so, what we have tried to do is to come alongside and say, look. Uh, If you're going to have a holistic discipleship and if your life's going to be integrated, you've got to think about how you think about your nine-to-five job. And it's not you shouldn't think of it in a secular kind of way where you walk in and I do it so that I'm freed up to do the other things with my life that I want to do in the rest of the time that I have. You've got to integrate that into what you do. Um, and I, I'm, and what I'm hearing you say is you've got the same kind of disconnect – it isn't surprising if their parents haven't connected it, the kids yeah. aren't going to connect it either um, – same kind of disconnect with their lives, that there's kind of the, the, the secular portion of their life, and then there's the, the time that they give over to spiritual things. And, yeah. and, and it's disjoined, and because it's disjoined, uh, they separate things out and don't connect the the dots.
3: Yeah, so you'll you know so that's how it works in work. You'll definitely see it in that and choosing a career path of going. You know the prevailing message is do whatever makes you happy, which is some combination of fame or money, based on kind of however you see it. Mm-hmm. And it's not a contemplation of what can you do to serve the public good. I mean that God really built you to do to bless the community. It's more what's good for me. Mm-hmm. Do you see how that philosophy is not really Christian at all and trying to connect those things. But then you'll see it sexually too. I mean, uh you know, I had a friend in ministry encourage me. He said whenever somebody tweets and mentions your ministry or you, uh try periodically to go look at their Twitter feed and see what else they talk about. Uh-huh. And it's funny to, uh, you know, I'll do that, and and students will not seem to have any problem connecting, oh, worship tonight was awesome, oh, I was so hammered on Thursday, you know? Uh Yeah. Is that, you know? Or tweet, like, a Bible verse out, and their little picture is, you know, them in a bikini or with their shirt off, flexing. Yeah. Like, does that not strike you as strange, you know? uh, Yeah. But I don't think they've... They've not gone well. I actually have a really integrated way of combining those two things. Um, they've just not thought about the implications of worshiping God on their sexuality and how they present it. That's not every student, but that that's a common theme,
2: yeah. And there's a lot there. I, I take it there's a lot of pressure to go there. I mean, I you know, college campuses. Now again, I'm, I'm taking the clock back, you know, to when before there were trains and cars and that kind of thing. But That's you sure. know, but you know, when I was on college campuses, the the terrific pressure. It's on a university campus, University of Texas. I can mm-hmm. I think I can say that even though I'm talking to someone yeah. from A yeah. and M. Uh, and uh, you know, the pressure to drink and socialize and connect was huge. Yeah. Um, and and that's what the weekends were. Yeah. Uh they were like magnets to that. Mm-hmm. And uh full of full of opportunities for for poor choices, if I can say yeah. it that way. Um yeah. I suspect it, the the nature of the experience may have changed, but I imagine the d- dynamics of of that core thing hasn't changed very much. Is that Would that be f- fair? Or? Yeah,
3: I would say so. It's just um I don't know. It's interesting even when I think about when I was coming up there was still a sense of it was the forbidden. Uh-huh. And now it's the common.
2: Uh-huh.
3: You know what I mean? I mean So
2: something's switched. We've crossed a uh, we've crossed the Rubicon so to speak. We yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. And so they're still all doing it, but it doesn't have this uh
2: the stigma that it the did. The
3: thrill of doing something really taboo. It's kind of like, well, this is what we do. Huh and the upshot of it is it's not a very satisfying life mm-hmm. intellectually or right. socially or that's in a sense made i think my job easier as a minister is because the culture has said just run mm-hmm. and when students run that way or even see people doing it they go that that's actually they're not really much happier you know mm-hmm. and um so i think being able to come to them with a, a presentation of the truth is compelling to students in a new way because they're seeing this is the culture soaking in and,
2: and now, how, really- how much of the tension is is uh, ask I'm trying to think of a good way to ask this mm-hmm. how much of uh, of the tension is when that's the scenario that in the attempt to seemingly connect and connect more often it's actually because of the like I'll I'll characterize it the shallowness of the connection. It's actually a more lonely kind of existence. Is that, is that irony taking place?
3: Absolutely, yeah. that um you know, sex without love doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Love without commitment doesn't really work. You know, and so I think that's the pervasive kind of feel in the culture, and I think with students it's fairly easy to tap into that. This isn't really working. Let's just think down this road a little bit. It's not a very satisfying road.
2: So then they emerge from the other end, having having if I say it this way, bought in to a certain degree, and then the dis- uh, an element of disillusionment sets in. Yeah, because it isn't delivering, and mm-hmm. so then what do you do? You either you either Intensify the numbness, if I can say it that way, or you or you say there's gotta be another way.
3: And that's that's what I think is you know, ministers today have lost maybe what we had in the past, which is sort of the um the credibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like maybe there was a day where you could tell people, well, this is the way to view sex or work or life, people will go, well, of course, you're quoting the Bible, everyone believes the Bible, there's this common acceptance of a biblical worldview. hmm There's less of that now.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: But I think if you preach, what you have on your side is truth, mm-hmm. logic, because logic isn't really even used that much in the arguments of what students believe. They've just been told it a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, when you just talk through the truth of, okay, this is a common th- prevailing thought in the culture, where is that going? Is that a very satisfying place at all? Now, let me show you a more excellent way. Let me show you a way that actually touches the deepest longings of your heart, is intellectually satisfying to your mind, and works socially.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so, that's what I think is fun in preaching, is always trying to push integration mm-hmm. of If you really believe that statement, what kind of culture does that make? What society does that make? You know, if you believe like a prevailing thought is, uh, we were joking about it the other day, me and a group of students, the prevailing thought is, you do you, you know, (laughs) is a prevailing thing, which basically means you do whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. Just run that out a little bit. Mm -hmm. If everyone in the culture does that, um, women lose and kids lose. And then you just start giving them examples of when, when cultures embrace selfishness as a core value, women and children lose because the strong people win.
2: And then everybody loses because we got messed up families.
3: Exactly. Yeah. And, and then ultimately everyone loses. And yeah. you go, "That's who wants a world like that? Yeah.
2: Join us next week for part two of The Table Podcast.
0: Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.